By the way, I've had some questions asked. The program that I was on in Dallas, TBN, airs tomorrow night at 7 p.m. on TBN, and they're going to replay it at 10 p.m. And when I tell you, this was amazing. I'm telling you, I hope it translates to television because God moved in that room, in that television studio. It was incredibly powerful. I'll tell you a little bit about it in some of my message tonight. But they set Vestalane Mangan loose to pray. She's got 80 years of prayer built up. And she told me Tuesday, we had breakfast, a group of us, and Lane came up to me and she said, she's so funny. She says, uh, I hug her. And she's, I said, hey, Mama. She said, kiss me, darling, kiss me. So I'm like, give her a kiss, you know. She says, thank you, honey. I said, that was so powerful last night. She said, well, that wasn't the prayer I had in mind, but I just felt like I needed to shake the foundations. And I'm telling you, she did. She's a powerhouse. And Pastor Anthony did amazing. Jensen Franklin, the connection there, it was just phenomenal. Uh, blown away. Brendan and I picked up uh, Doug Kleinus. We drove over together. On the way, Ann Kleinus was saying, Doug, they're, they're, you're going to do something on this deal. He's like, Ann, this is TV. Like, I'm not going to do anything. It's not like, you know, they're like, anybody got a word? You know, it's television. And I'm telling you, we walked in. We sat down. Of course, I'm front and center, you know, that's how I roll. And right, right there on the front row, and... The, the host comes out before they turn on the cameras, and he said, where's Doug Kleindest? And Doug's like right here, and he said, uh, stand up, Doug. We want you to open this up in prayer, 20-second prayer. We got to go. And so Doug did. I looked at him. I said, Ann, you better listen to Ann. She called it. So I'm like, Ann, you got anything to say to me? You know, It's going to be incredible. And Pastor Anthony, I, I was so uh, proud just Phenomenal! It's I, I'm just telling you, it's it's gonna it's incredible. Uh, I, I love the fact that Brother Marcelli's gonna be with us in March. We also have Morton Bustard with us towards the end of March, which blessed our church last year so incredibly. And then we have Easter coming up. Glenn Massey's coming up the Sunday night after Easter, and we have others that are coming. The Beckton's are coming in October, David Bernard in November, Raymond Woodward in January. Just a lot of great things coming down the pike. As well as yours truly, I'll be preaching here too, okay? Thank you very much. So uh, tonight we're in Journey Through Genesis. This is part 27. We're going to look at Genesis 33, Genesis 34, and Genesis 35 tonight. We're going to make some tracks. Now, I want to say a prayer to open this up. Father, thank you so much for your word, the privilege of looking into your word, sharing your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Pray that you would reveal truth to us by your spirit through your word. And for this, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Well, last time, we looked at a very dysfunctional family. As a matter of fact, my recurring line last time was, and you thought your family was dysfunctional. 
Jacob and Leah had Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Rachel was barren, so she gave Jacob Bilhah, her maidservant, and together they had Dan and Naphtali. Leah gave Jacob her man, uh, maidservant, and they had Gad and Asher. Then Jacob and Leah had Issachar and Zebulun. Then they had Dinah, a daughter. Then Jacob and Rachel had Joseph, and eventually they would have Benjamin. Rachel prophesied that she would have Benjamin. She did, and she also died while giving birth to him. In chapter 32, we saw where Jacob wrestled with the angel, and his name was changed, and his life was forever changed. But I, I want to emphasize something tonight in case we miss this subtle point. As powerful as the encounter was at Jabbok, as much as the name change mattered, that old Jacob nature was still a part of the new man, Israel. And he was still on a journey. You know, there used to be this doctrine of perfection that people would have, and they would think, one day I'll become perfect, and I'll never sin, I'll never fail, <laughs> I'll never mess up. I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. I've told you about this guy I worked with in Washington, D.C. all those years ago, and he thought he was perfect. He had arrived. But, folks, I watched him sin on a regular basis. I watched him mess up on a regular basis. He didn't realize it. And I felt like God put me in his life to point it out to him. He didn't so much appreciate that. But I'm just telling you, he was wrong. He thought he was perfect, but he was not perfect at all. And this walk with God, even in the New Testament, as phenomenal as the change is, it's still a journey. And I'm still learning and you're still learning. One day we'll know as we're known. One day all things will be new. Everything will change. But until that time, we are changing little by little. It's a process. Everybody say process. It's a journey. Everybody say journey. It's a walk, man. It's one foot in front of the other. And so... In chapter 32, he wrestles with the angel, and his name was changed. But we'll see that that, that huge event, that life-altering, destiny-changing event, was not immediate. So let's go to chapter 33. And I'm not going to read chapter 33, at least the first 15 verses, but let me tell you what's about to happen. The whole reason that Jacob is seeking the Lord in such an intense way and ends up having that wrestling match with God is because he's about to run into Esau, his brother that he's deceived all these years before, and he's scared, and so he's desperate. He's got wives and children that he's worried about, an entourage, a posse that he's watching out for. It's not just his life on the line. It's all these others that had nothing to do with Esau. And he thinks that Esau is going to hunt him down and kill him and take all his stuff and hurt all of his people. And so he's desperately seeking the Lord. And <coughs> excuse me. Everybody say, bless him, Lord. Reminds me of the early days of my ministry. A little old lady's crochet and saying, bless him, Lord. And uh, 
what ends up happening is it's years after the deception and years since they had seen each other. And just as Jacob has been blessed, Esau has been blessed. He is a son of Isaac, a grandson of Abraham. And he's highly blessed, highly favored. And the bottom line is this, in those first 15 verses, Esau was extremely blessed. Jacob was extremely blessed. And they reunited. They embraced. They wept. They were moved to be around each other. After all, they were still brothers. Now, Jacob, who was now known as Israel, like I said, this is a um, process, and he reverted back to his wily ways. He just, he loved on his brother, but he, he just, he was struggling. Notice this, verse 16. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padam Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city, and he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar, and there called it El Elohi Israel, meaning the mighty God of Israel. So really what happened was, he tricked Esau. He told Esau, you go on south ahead of me. I'll be along later. Esau takes off with his entourage, and Jacob goes north. He deceives his brother. It's kind of like, we reunited. You didn't kill me. Thank God. Now I hope I never see you again. You go on down there. I'm going to go on up here. Never told him his intentions. Deceives him once again. So, again, this is a, this is a man that wrestled with the angel, lying to his brother, Yet again, still hasn't learned his lesson. He's learning, but he hasn't learned it all the way. And then verses 1 through 4 of chapter 34. I call this a sordid affair. And I'm going to read the first four verses. It's really hideous. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. Now, the next 20 verses or so just tell this awful story. Here's what happened. So this young man from Shechem <coughs> tells his dad, I really love Dinah. She's the one for me. Now, they've gone out. They've messed around. And the brothers, the brothers realize what this guy has done to their sister Dinah. And like any good brother, they're mad. They, they want to avenge their sister. Now, there's a lot of details we don't know. We looked at a lot of details last time. Maybe we should have skipped some of them. Uh, and I don't, you know, maybe it's good we don't know all the details in this story. But we just know that th this was a, a, a disaster that was taking place 
and the brothers wanted to avenge their sister. And so what they did was <coughs> they made a deal. They went out and bargained with the men of Shechem. They said, you, this, this young man can marry our sister. But you guys have to be like we are. We're children of Abraham and Isaac. And we believe in the right of circumcision. And you guys don't. So if you want anything to do with our family, then you're going to have to go through this rite of circumcision as well. Now, this is the king's son that's after Dinah. So the king makes this decree. Okay, it's a done deal. We're all going to go through this rite of circumcision. And so they do. This is crude. This is in the olden days. This is they don't have scalpels. I'm just, and I probably need to stop right there. And so... They go through the process, and the Bible says that on the third day, when all of these men of the city are sore, they're disabled, those brothers of Dinah's take their swords, just a couple of them, and they go in that camp, in that city, and they kill all of the men, they wipe them out. They kill the king, they kill the prince, they kill them all. It was a bloodbath, and the reason, they said, is because, in verse 31, you treated our sister like a harlot. They plundered the city, killed Hamor, Shechem, they took all their stuff, took their sheep, oxen, donkeys, all that was in the city, all that was in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and wives. They took captive. They plundered everything they had. Now, Jacob was upset. He said, you've troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites, parasites. I'm only a few in number. They're going to gather themselves against me. And they're like, she treated our sister like a harlot. We had to do this. Now, I want to pay some close attention here as to how this disaster came upon the family of Jacob. Are you with me? Proverbs 26.2 says, like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. There was a reason. There was a cause for this trouble. A sparrow flies around. A swallow flies around. And then for a purpose, they land at a certain spot. Maybe it's to eat a worm. Maybe it's to rest. Maybe it's to spy out, look for some crickets or something. But there's a reason they light where they light. There was a cause for the trouble that we just read about, that we just heard about. This trouble was the result, here's the reason, of Jacob's refusal to fully obey God. To fully lean into the will of God. In chapter 31, 13, we've already seen this. God had instructed Jacob to go to Bethel and instead... He went to Shechem. Now, we don't know why he chose to go to Shechem instead of Bethel. 
but he chose to go to Shechem. Maybe it was, you know, one of those things that was from Lot's, uh, you know, influence in some of the family. Who knows? But he wanted to be near this city. And, and Jacob <coughs> deceived his brother again, went north instead of south, disobeyed the Lord, did not go to Bethel, but went to Shechem. And here's the deal. He did all of this in full view with his sons and his daughters or his daughter watching what he was doing. He was teaching them, leading them by example. He was saying, I know the Lord told me to go to Bethel, but I'm going to go to Shechem. I know you saw us have this reunion and the Lord spared me. And I thank God for it. And I, I built a, a, a special place because of it. But you know what? I don't want to be with Esau. So he lies. So they see this deception that still, they see this Jacob and not this Israel. You got to be careful what you do and in front of who you do it. There are people that are watching you. There are younger believers, younger saints. There are kids that are watching you. And, and when you try to tell them, listen, you need to do this, they're watching what you do. You know what I'm saying? They're watching what you do. Jacob also had the residue of Laban's idolatry in his camp. Now, God had changed him. He had had this encounter at Jabbok. It was very powerful. But Jacob had yet to clean up his ways and clean out his house. The Jacob was still ruling over the Israel. And this particular mistake cost Jacob, cost Dinah, and cost his sons dearly. My question for us tonight is this. What do we refuse to let go of? What direction have we not fully obeyed when the Lord put it in our heart and gave us that crystal clear direction and we said, I'll go halfway, but I won't go all the way. Where are you? Have you gone all the way back to the house of God, to the Bethel, to the place God wants you to go? Or have you only gone a certain distance? It's incredibly important. This situation at Shechem was an embarrassment for the children of Israel for many, many years to come. Still to this day, it's a blight in their history but it was because a guy, Jacob, said, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm going to stop here. Very expensive mistake. You know, some of our mistakes can be more expensive than others. You can make some mistakes and get away with them. You can make some other mistakes, and there's a price to pay. Now, God is able to forgive. God is able to redeem. God can restore the years the, the locust has eaten. You know we believe that. We believe in redemption. But sometimes you just reap what you sow, and sometimes you just got to live through that season. Amen? Now, notice chapter 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob. So here's after this absolute disaster. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. And make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. In other words, God doesn't say, I'm done with you. I tried to change your name, you sorry loser. I mean, you just, you'll just, you're never going to change. You're never going to change. 
He told him once again. Aren't you glad God comes back again and says, let me tell you what I told you the first time. So many times we're looking for that new thing, and God said, do the old thing, and then I'll give you some fresh direction. And so here he is. He's like, man, he's made a disaster. The Lord says, go where I told you to go. Go to Bethel. And when you get there, you need to make an altar there. That altar is significant. That altar goes back, you know, to the Garden of Eden. It's when the Lord killed those animals and said, it used to be automatic and spontaneous, but now for us to have fellowship, you got to build an altar. you got to offer a sacrifice. you got to call on the name of the Lord. You're going to have to go through this process to keep fellowship going. And that continued. You see Abraham building altars and Isaac building altars. And now the Lord says to Jacob, you've got to go back to the house of God, to Bethel, and you've got to build an altar. You've got to call on my name. You cannot save yourself, Jacob. You can't get yourself out of the messes anymore. Jacob, you've got to become the Israel. And the Israel is looking to the Lord for his help. Amen? And that's the way it is with us. Our old man wants to fix everything, wants to do everything, wants to do it his own way. But the new man says, not my will, but your will be done, O Lord. Jesus said, of myself, I can do nothing. Here's a revelation. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. That's a powerful revelation, and that's a faith statement. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. But it's just as much of a faith statement to say, and I can't do anything without him. You see that? Oh, I can do all things. But it's just as much of a faith statement as to say, I can't do anything without him. I can't even walk without him holding my hand. Like without him, Jesus said, it. I, in myself, I can do nothing. And it's the same with us. That Israel is the one that leans hard on God. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I will resist doing it my own way. And the Bible says that the Israel of God is the church. I love my church because the church is the Israel of God. And the Israel of God are the ones that are saying, not my will, but yours be done. I surrender all. I can't walk without you holding my hand. I can't do anything unless you lead me, unless you guide me, unless you strengthen me. My strength, my, the arm of my flesh can't get it done, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. That's a powerful, powerful truth. And we see this exemplified. We see this example here with my man Jacob. This place of Bethel and this altar, this is a place of repentance and consecration. No, notice, <clears throat> the word God is not used one time in chapter 34 with the Shechem debacle. But the word God is used ten times in chapter 35. And if you count the words Bethel and Israel, it would be considered to have been used 21 times. What was Jacob doing in chapter 35? He was getting God into the fabric of his life. 
not just an encounter at Jabok, but an everyday walk, getting God in his life and lifestyle. He was starting to live a consecrated and a holy life. What would happen if in the church we didn't just do this Sunday thing, but we walked with the Lord on Monday, and we walked with the Lord on Tuesday, and God got into the fabric of our lives. We understood there's little ones watching what I do with this word. And listen, you, you don't have to complicate it. Most of us, we know when we violate our conscience. We know we're convicted by the Holy Spirit. When we cross lines, we know we shouldn't cross. If, if we would just do, listen, you don't have to get all deep. You don't have to like know the Greek and the Hebrew. If you would just do, if I would just do what we knew to do and submit and yield to that still small voice, what would God do in our lives? I'm telling you, he would show up big. And those big prayers would be answered a little more easily because we were able to ask them in faith. A lot of times we want to try to build a third story on a house that we haven't even laid the foundation. We're like, give me that third story. And the Lord is saying, well, what about the foundation? You don't even have the foundation. How are you going to ask for big things when you really don't even walk and listen to the little things? Amen? And so Jacob just so paints this picture. He starts living this consecrated holy life. And you see it in verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, listen to this, put away the foreign gods that are among you. They had idols in the camp. Where did this come from? Laban. It's from that influence. Laban. The Shechemites were idolaters. He said, put away these foreign gods. I've realized some things. I've got to start being the Israel and not the Jacob. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. I, I just, let me just say this. You know, when the Holy Spirit begins to convict you and work on you, it makes you clean out your life. Can I get an amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It makes you stop doing some things and start doing some things. You're not afraid to confront and say, we're not going to do that in this house. We're going to stop doing that in this house. You know, I've, I've learned the hard way. Donovan is stupid. I can't live my life the way I think I ought to live it. I have to lean on the Lord. Donovan's going to suffer pain if Donovan is only listening to Donovan. But if Donovan is listening, well, to Valerie, and to the Lord Jesus, happy wife, happy life, you know. But, but if I'm listening to the Lord and listening to the Word, hey, his chastening may seem unpleasant for a little while, but in the long run it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And there's something about living life right. Church has lost a hold of this. Brothers and sisters, we're looking to Jesus. We're looking to the grace of God to cover all our messes. All our messes wouldn't even have to come around if we would just live a life that was pleasing before the Lord. Half those messes would be taken care of before they ever happen. Amen. 
rid of those idols. Put away those foreign gods. Purify yourselves and change your garments. There was something about the clothes they were wearing that were, was displeasing to the Lord. Now, I don't know, you know, like I don't know if, I don't know what they were wearing, but they needed to change the way, even the way they dressed, change your garments. Boy, I could spend some time there for a while, couldn't I? Change the way you dress. I heard Adrian Rogers preaching this morning. Memphis, Tennessee, Baptist pastor, legendary. He was talking about bouncing the eyes for men. He was preaching to men. He's like, you got to bounce the eyes. you got to bounce the eyes. He said, especially these days. He said, these, these women... Uh, this sounds sexist, I get it, but he said these women, they, he said they walk out, he said they're wearing those, uh, oh, it's, he was say, trying to say strapless evening gowns around town, and he said that, and then he said, well, maybe it's more like a gownless strap around town, and he said, you just got to learn to bounce the eyes. You know, when you serve the Lord, it affects even the way you dress, it really does. And that doesn't just go for women, that goes for men. It changes the, the, everything. He started weaving the truth of God and the conviction of God into his life. It wasn't just, I went to a church, had this blow up, left and lived any way I wanted to live. He's tried that, he's been burned by that. Now he's weaving the consecrated life into his lifestyle. So he said, Change your garments, verse 3. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands. So they had a bunch of foreign gods. And the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth which was by Shechem, and he left them behind. He left all that stuff behind and went to Bethel. Notice he prepared to go to the house of God. In other words, he was changing before he went to the place God had called him. He knew, I've been wrong, man. I've done some dumb things. I remember when I was coming back to the Lord, music was a God in my life. And I have some music equipment, I'm going to tell you, my 1949 Sears Silvertone hollow body jazz guitar and a bunch of other equipment. But that was an idol in my life. And when I came back to the Lord, I tried to hang on to it. But one day, the Lord said, I'm calling you somewhere else. And for a season, that stuff has got to go away. And I remember selling all this music equipment that was amazing and, and so important to me. But it, it wasn't what I needed at the time. And I got to a place that ended up catapulting me into ministry full time. And I've not stopped since. The bottom line is this. You've just got to listen. You've got to lay some things down. It's funny. It's talking about earrings there. I've told you about my earring story. You know, like there was a day when pastor wore earrings. And, you know, I, I wore one earring. And back in the day, if you wore it in your left ear, you were straight in America. 
But in Britain, if you wore it in your left ear, you were gay. And so I had come out of this background, and I was mad, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to wear me an earring, you know. And these, you know, these people can't tell me what to do. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to. And so I went to the mall, you know. That's where you go get an earring. And, you know, they did the old, you know, there it is. Got me a diamond stud, Wesley. And uh, and so I was rolling like that. And then the more I thought about the matter, I got, I thought, well, I'm a rock star. I'm sure I'm going to tour in the U.K. And if I tour in the U.K., then I got this earring over. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I'm going to get both ears pierced. It's so dumb. And so I, I went back to the mall. And uh, I'm like, I didn't want this ear. You know. And so now I got two studs. And I got another one. I started wearing hoops and all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and when I came back to the Lord, when I came back to the Lord, uh, I, was, I was a hard case, man. Like I was a fighter and a struggler. And, and I'm, I'm like, uh, well, I ain't going to get rid of it. Like that, that was you know, that was a lot of work, working those studs and, find, you know, graduating where the whole stayed open and, and like, I'm going to keep those, you know. And so I was working on that. And, and when I came back to the Lord, I just felt the Lord saying, you need to get rid of those earrings. And it was like the music equipment. I'm like, but, but I'm so cool. I'm so cool, Lord. You don't understand how cool I am. And the Lord was like, you need to get rid of those earrings. And I would get rid of them. And, and I'd go hide them under the terebinth tree. But then I'd go dig them out. Like when I was feeling uncool, I'd go dig them out. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm still cool. And I'd put them on. And one day the Lord just convicted me so much. And I said, Lord, you can have them. I don't need those. What I want is you. Where I'm going, I don't need earrings. I can't do anything on myself with my, by myself anyway. I need your anointing. I need your help. I want to please you. There was a radical change that took place in my soul. That's the way the Lord is supposed to work in our lives. We don't just have a little encounter, a little touch at JBOG. Not just at the altar. We leave and the Holy Spirit works on us and we, we just change. Man, We are willing to change anything and everything and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to please my Lord. I want this anointing. I want my Lord pleased with me. One day I'm going to stand before him and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You can blow that off. People say, that's dumb, Donovan. I don't believe he cares about that stuff. He cares about the hairs on your head. He cares about everything about you. And especially when it's got a grip on you and your identity's wrapped up in it instead of in him. There's something about sacrifice and surrender. We don't hear enough of that anymore. There's something about the consecrated life. At TBN on Monday night, it was so powerful. Anthony and Jensen Franklin both got on a roll, and both of them began to say, Jensen said at first, he said, what we need, Pastor Mangan, in the, the body of Christ is we need a revival of holiness and consecration. We need a revival. We've lost our way. And I'm just going to tell you, I agree with that statement. We need a revival of holiness in the church. We need it in life point. I need it in my life. What do you want me to do? I, I present everything I have to you once again, Lord. That consecrated life. Lane was so funny. You know, she just 
One day, uh, Lane and, and Gnarls came walking down the street. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, and Vesta Lane Mang, and if you don't know her, we need to have her down here. That's what we need to do. But uh, Vesta Lane was, she's, uh, Lord, how old is she? How old? 93 years old. This is a, she's about 90 years old. I was in St. Louis. I was eating sushi outside. I'm saying she's a bold woman. She's an aggressive woman. She is a, uh, a powerhouse, and she's not afraid of this younger generation. She dominates this younger generation. Here's an example. She's walking down the street with her sister, and they're funny, man. They're dressed to the nines, and they're just walking slow down the street. Just got some swag going, like wearing leopard skin or something and just like just kind of walking. And I'm sitting in a street cafe in St. Louis, Missouri with some friends, and I look up and I said, there's Lane and Gnarls, you know, like, wow. And so they walk up and they see us and they said, hey, darling, you know, it's good to see you. We're eating sushi out on this cafe. And, and she says, she says, are you eating sushi there? Is that, is that sushi? I've never had sushi before. You mind if I have some sushi? Not at all. She's like, all right. So she grabs it. She's like, ah. Eats the sushi. She's like, that's pretty good, honey. I love you so much. Thank you for the sushi. And they just, there they go. And we're just kind of stunned. We're looking at each other like, did this just happen? Why didn't we video this? Like, did this just happen? And it really didn't. And Narl, she just turned her nose up like, I can't. I'm, I'm embarrassed at you, Lane. And Lane's just eating the, the, the sushi. It was, it was hilarious. But, but Sister Vesta, is, uh, she's not afraid of this younger generation. She is, she's a powerhouse. She's a, a dominator. And, and so when we were talking about, you know, they were talking about uh, the whole thing of we need a revival of holiness. She said, she said, darling, when the Lord got a hold of me, she said, the Bible says this thing wasn't done in a corner, and I refuse to stay in a corner. No matter how consecrated I am, I'm going to get out in the middle of this world, and I'm going to love me some people. We can be separated, yes, but we're going to get out in the middle of people and not be intimidated and make a difference in their life. And, honey, that's what they're after. Somebody that's got to walk with God that's every day and every day and every day and every day. And the power of God flows through them. And they're able to speak into somebody else's life and help them out. That's really what consecration and holiness does. I'm done, but let me just tell you this, man. It's like when Moses was holding his hands out. Jensen mentioned this in the program. When Moses held his hands out over that battle. Joshua and the men in the valley were winning. But when he would get tired and his hands would fall, Aaron and Hur were called alongside, held up those hands, and the victory would come back. They would be losing when the hands went down. They would win when the hands were held up. Something done in the natural had an effect on the spiritual. I'm talking about God cares about the things you do, the things you don't do in the natural. I don't just mean it's all just what you think and all just your attitude. It's what you do with your everyday life, with your time, your talent, your treasure, what you do in your physical body. There's an effect in the spirit world. That's what was happening in Moses' day. He would lift his hands and God would send angels that would bring the victory in that valley below. 
And when he would drop his hands, they would be withheld. Could it be that those things the Holy Spirit's trying to convict you of, if you would just bow the knee, it would release angels of God to give you victories that you're struggling with? Could it be that if you would just listen to that voice of God, listen to that word of God, and say yes to it instead of, I'm going to go to Shechem instead of Bethel. If you would just say yes to that, then the angels would be released. You're like, well, I'm, I can't earn my salvation. What I do in the physical doesn't matter. You know, what's so funny to me is I've heard so many preachers say that I'm a legalist, okay, which is funny to me. They're like, you're just a legalist, Donovan. You think that, you know, you've got to live a holy life and stuff like that. And those same preachers will tell their congregation, God wants to bless you financially, but he ain't going to do it unless you give him my offering physically. He wants to bless you in your finances with his Holy Spirit and his angels. But the way he's going to do it is when you write that check to Donovan Hill Ministries Incorporated in Jesus' name. If you really, but, but Donovan's a legalist, you know, like he's a legalist. He thinks that what you do in the natural affects the spiritual. And we can't buy our way to, and, this, and yet they say, but you better sow that seed in Jesus' name. Sow that seed. The point is this, you can abuse anything, any truth, but Jacob shows us a really hard-learned lesson. What you do with what God tells you is vital. You're either going to walk in his blessings or you're going to be under a curse. He had an encounter at Jabbok and yet had idolatry and all kind of junk going on in his home. His family saw this messed up man. Thank God Joseph was too little to get it. Those boys were wicked. They got their wickedness from their father. But Joseph came along, and he had a father who had really made some changes. He said, I'm going to love you, Joseph. I'm going to tell you God can do anything with your life. Yield yourself. Put something in Joseph, as we'll see. I'm quoting a lot of preachers. Stand with me tonight. I'm quoting a lot of preachers, but I, I heard years ago T.D. Jake said something fascinating. He said, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Well, you know what that means. Like a man that finds a woman to wed, that's a good thing. But really, it's more technical than that. A man that finds a wife, like she was single but she had the attitude of a wife. She was a wife on the inside before she got married and became a wife on the outside. She was already before it happened. She was not going to be some loosey-goosey woman. She was a committed woman. She was a wife. And that's what the scripture was saying. He that finds a wife, she's already a wife. You just got to find her. She was already that. Well... Joseph, Jacob placed, Israel placed values in Joseph that made him a man of integrity. That no matter what he faced, evil brothers, a pit, Potiphar's wife, or the Pharaoh, he always rose to the top. Why? Because he was raised by a man 
Israel who had learned in his older age things matter. What I do for God matters. If I disobey, there's consequences. There's a price to pay. He had put that in Joseph. And Joseph was this man with an excellent spirit who was always rising to the top, no matter where he was, until finally he became a ruler of Egypt. Can you close your eyes right now? Father, thank you so much for your word. <coughs> thank you for your goodness, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you challenge us to walk before you and to be holy before you. You said, be holy because I am holy. Live for the covenant, live for the covenant partner, live for the word of the covenant partner. It is such a challenge. Our temptation is to live by the flesh. Temptation is to live any way we want to live. But God, you challenge us to be disciples, discipline, people with borders and lines. Pray, God, that you would just help us to be that in Jesus' name. Let me say this, and I want to sing that song. Verse 5 says, And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. You know why that happened? Jacob had yielded to some things in the natural, and the holy angels of God were keeping his enemies at bay and saying, You will not touch this one. This one's made some changes. This one's got a hedge. This one's got a hedge around him like Job. You will not touch this one. He's on a mission. He's headed to Bethel. The angels of God will surround you and get you where you need to go. You're like, God, take me there. Please get me back to that place. You start laying aside those idols. You start putting down those garments and those earrings and that's whatever it is that the Lord's speaking to your heart. You start laying that stuff down, that music. You start laying that stuff down, making those changes. God will keep all those enemies at bay. And he said, he's going to Bethel. I'm going to make sure he gets his touch and his renewal and his calling refreshed. I'll make sure he gets restored and renewed. God will make sure that you get that renewing, those times of refreshing. Can you sing it right now?